You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to have Jay Norris with us. He is the CEO and co founder of Guest. Jay is an innovative leader who uses his creativity and imagination to uncover opportunities in today's challenged retail and real estate industry. He has a big talent for building relationships and making strategic connections. He is a serial entrepreneur who began his career in the music industry for Clive Davis's Artista Records, which we'll probably have to talk about, even though that's a little off topic, but intriguing nevertheless, and later founded Tastemakers Media. Jay bought his, brought his expertise in lifestyle and experiential marketing to commercial real estate. His real estate brokerage career flourished as director for Marcus Mailchamp and then Eastern Consolidated Properties. His real estate brokerage career flourished as director for Marcus Mailchamp and then Eastern Consolidated Properties. Jay, thank you so much for being with us. I'm really looking forward to diving in how you're leveraging your ability to make connections and, and help the industry move forward in retail and real estate. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Yeah. So I gave the audience a brief introduction to you, um, but why don't we kick off the conversation with you giving the audience a deeper introduction to guest why you founded it with your team and what you're doing for the industry. Okay. This is great. So let me start by saying uh, it's been a nice journey, (laughs) a great journey. I love it. So, you know, I was, uh, as, you, as you read earlier, I was in the music business and, um, and, and, and I recognized when I left the music business and moved into commercial real estate, that there was a, a thread there that I loved working with talented, small businesses, right? So the talent, either it was Biggie, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, I looked at them as they were brands. And so I was in their infancy stage. I was known as the tastemaker or the influencer that took them around to build cultural currency mm-hmm. in each market. So they didn't have any following at that time. This, is, this was before the That's day. That's like hard to even believe. Tell me about it, right? <laughs> like, you know, Alicia Keys. So my job was to take them on promotional tours and to integrate them into cultural current. Uh, happenings. So, like, so, so, for instance, I would take an artist um, who had no zero following, and I'd plant them around other influential events in each market. So, for instance, in New York, my job was to take an artist that anybody knew. I'd have to take them to Nobu. I'd have to take them to an elevated boutique hotel experience and introduce them to all the influencers there. So they got to know them. So I built cultural currency, a lot of people like to say. Mm-hmm. And then it, it went from there. Like some some hit it big, like the ones you know, right? Like I said, Celine Dion. Biggie. Big, uh, <laughs> Puff. I mean, it runs the gamut. It was, it was hip-hop to pop to country. It didn't matter to me because I was always trying to connect with people and certain audiences mm-hmm. and networks. And... That was the common thread. So that's where I learned about the experiential marketing side of the business, right? Because I was there, grassroots, uh, guerrilla marketing, uh, influencer marketing. That was a part of my core DNA. I moved into commercial real estate after that because the music industry got disrupted by this thing called digital download business. You know, one day 
we got called into the office and, and everybody was talking about the internet. And I remember saying, okay, I heard about the internet, but what's that got to do with us? And, um, you know, gentlemen were talking about how, listen to this, that's a disc falling on the ground. You'll never hear that next year. And we're like, what is he, what do you mean? Essentially the rest was history. They, 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 the, the music industry kind of sued these digital download guys from Napster. That was a big story back then. And essentially we all, I lost my job. I lost my, my place there. So I had to reimagine and reinvent myself. But one thing I took with me was that disruption. And if you have an opportunity, and I tell everyone this, to partner with technology, don't miss that chance. Mm -hmm. Because I got a chance to see a total disruption in the music business, meaning, you know, jobs cut immediately. Then 9-11 happened. So it was a big, it's a big wash. And, and I used that knowledge to, to tell, I took that knowledge of that lens of that story and I moved into commercial real estate with that lens. And as I was at the broker shop, I saw that um, there was, it was a little different. It was more about you find a tenant, you find a space, you do a deal and that's it. And that was a brokerage model. And once I uncovered what that really was, I said, this is great. You know, I, I love the short turnover. You do a deal, you get paid, you move on. However, what they didn't tell me is 90% of all deals done in New York City go out of business in the first two years. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. The 90% of all businesses started in New York go out of business in the first two years. And I said that this is, doesn't really work because I have a lot of tenants that were looking for other services from me. They were like, okay, can you help me with marketing? Can you help me understand what other systems that can be provided to me so I can stay in business, not just find a space? So long story short, I took that to my brokerage, uh, the heads of the brokerage, and I said, we need to be more like consultants and advisors. And they said, that's not what we do. I said, all right, hmm, what do I do next? And so essentially, I decided to start a company that would address all the pain points of retailers and restaurants and not just find them a space, but actually help them with software solutions mm -hmm. that would provide value and help them optimize their business. So that's how I started Guest. So Guest is comprised of a team of thought leaders from retail, hospitality experts, and uh, property owners and technologists. We're, we create software products, but we're always in the, in the weeds with our clients, uncovering pain points and complexity in the industry. And so, you know, we like to say our overarching mission is to foster trust and transparency amongst property owners and their tenants, but with the ultimate goal of helping all businesses thrive. That's our core DNA, right? That's pretty big, right? We got a big mission ahead of us, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so what we've done in our version, this, this product um, that launched this year is we built a third-party verification platform that provides a property owner a view of their tenant's daily sales performance all on one dashboard. At Guest, we believe that the commercial real estate ecosystem is comprised of lenders, property owners, and their tenants. However, we are, they're all driven by consumer spending habits. Yeah. 
you know? And so we built, uh, you know, a performance analytics tool so that all players can receive pragmatic real-time sales data so they can make better qualified decisions moving forward. Mm-hmm. Not 30 days later, not 60 days later, daily. Yeah. You know, um, so that's the guest platform. Yeah. Well, thanks for diving into that and, and your journey. Um, it's fun mm-hmm. to hear. So so now as we go deeper into the platform, can you share like who are some of your customers? And I know you guys have recently um, announced some uh, exciting new clients as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we have, uh, you know, one of our first major betas accounts was uh, a group called uh, Urban Space. Mm-hmm. And they're the number one food hall group in America. Yeah. And they're also big in the UK. And essentially what we do for them is help them manage their, their vendors. Because um, a lot of people don't know this, but it's a very arduous process, the reporting. So a property owner or asset manager has to email a specific tenant or vendor and say, could you send me over your sales last month? And a lot of time that information is not verifiable. It's just sent in an email and might even be handed over on a sheet of paper, like a, a number. And that's how they've been working in the past. And so we decided to do was to build the way we're going to build that transparency is that we're a third party layer that pulls information from their POS directly and shares whatever they gave permissions to the property owner. So that's how, uh, that's how we work with urban space. So they have multiple vendors reporting on daily sales and then, and uh, in the future coming up, we're doing sweep service. So we'll also be accounts receivable and payable. So they don't have to chase down rent checks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's, 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 I'm sure they're smiling about that happening. I mean, um, but the ultimate goal, like also, also is just to help the business owner be more mm-hmm. efficient. Yeah. They didn't go to school for being an account, an accountant. They don't yeah. have the, the, you know, a lot of them don't, can't hire extra help to help them do all the accounting, especially mm-hmm. with tax and tips, all the exclusions that come into reporting. Mm-hmm. So we help them as well. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I know you guys are on the pulse of, of, of uh, tracking trends and as in-store shopping begins to re-emer- reemerge, uh, you know, with hopefully the pandemic coming under control and physical retail opening here in New York, they announced today that um, they're going to ease restrictions on bars and, and restaurants July 1st. And so what are you starting to see in terms of, of, of you know, changes and movement with brands and retailers? Yeah, no, what I'm, what I'm seeing is, um, we also have a pool of brands that reach out to us daily Mm -hmm. and everybody's really trying to take the the temperature on when is the time to jump back in. But I am seeing it trend where the, I would say the innovative or creative uh, brands that see this as an opportunity for them to test physical retail because there's now and we have a host full, a, a network full of property owners that work with us, and they are really ready, willing, and able to provide a creative lease arrangement right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So what that does, you know, once a brand hears that, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity for us to at least try or test something in a short-term space. Yeah. 
and land on the right data and then figure out exactly the way to move forward once we receive that data. Okay. You know, um, if it's a, it could be, all right, wow, we're doing really well here. Let's set up a fixed rent deal now because later on the market should, if it comes back and we might not get this opportunity. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the conversation. It hasn't been if it's been when, right? Um, when do we dive back in? When do we, when do we get some great deals? When do we maybe enter markets that might've been cost prohibitive on a, you know, per square foot basis, you know, in, in 2019 even, right. And yeah. built now. So, um, and the world where flexible retail is on a rise too, right. We talked about pop-up and I think the definition of pop-up continues to flex. So it could be <laughs> three months. It could be a year. We've opened a lot of pop-ups that are a year. I think that's like at the cusp of what you can consider but, but, a pop-up. But, but I, I feel next year, They'll be calling pop-ups 10-year pop-ups. I know. You know, I like know. Every 10 year, I mean, that's just, I think it, you know, it has two different connotations. I mean, the, the term pop-up is great because it says, all right, bam, this is, we're here for a minute, right? It's almost, I like to call it like the urgent buy, physical retail mm-hmm. urgent buy. You know, here's pop-up and it's like, oh, wow, we better check this out because it could be gone any day now, Right. And so I think yeah. it's really about engaging a compelling story with the with the consumer and mm-hmm. the pop-up term yeah. is synonymous to that. And I don't think it's going anywhere. <laughs> I no, so. I, 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 yeah, I see it being stretched at least to two years. I have 10 is, a, is egregious, but you never know. But on the backs of that, you know, what it, what it leads to is the conversation of new cost structures, right, that minimize the risk in entering the market. And so when we look at these variable lease agreements, right, and you have to consider a retailer's monthly sales performance, how is guest helping bring insights to, to tenants' retail sales performance in real time? Oh, wow. Great question. I love this one. So, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's interesting because we, I don't say we coach, but we like advise certain property owners sometime because we get, we receive the data and we told them, I said, look, we give an example and I love to give a, like a case study. Mm-hmm. Say there's a, a D2C phenomenon brand like a Mack Weldon when they, I remember when they first did their pop-up down in Soho. And I give the example of that because it was a huge success and all the property owners and brokers could see that it was a success. They see a line down the block, right? They know mm-hmm. there's a lot of consumer experience here going on here, and and there's there's a demand. However, it was short term. It was I think it was like a week or a month. Yeah. Month. And and so what I'm what I recognize is I, on the other side, I am a broker. I forget that I told you that. So on the other side, I said, well, wouldn't it be interesting for a broker? to have the knowledge of what the sales were, not just the wow factor, because there's the wow factor with the consumers down the block, but to actually see numbers. And then if they did that pop-up, they would not wait for Mac Weldon to leave because Mac Weldon left with the data. So mm-hmm. they knew mm-hmm. they could set strike deals anywhere, mm-hmm. basically, because they have the data from online sales. But if a, 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 a property owner had a, a leasing team that had this data, they would have went approached them with an amicable fixed rent deal immediately, immediately, but they didn't have it. So they had to chase them later. And so information gives us the confidence to make, you know, creative deals happen, right? For sure. So that variable rent that you're referring to is, 
is something that we call, we, we said that the majority of the brands that we speak to are reaching out to property owners with that conversation. Now mm-hmm. they want a variable rent, someone I'll do a base minimum, but with, with milestones and uh, escalations, if I hit those numbers, then you can get a little more, but it, it's a start to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these brands starting, especially emerging brands. Right. You know, it's, it's a real start for them. And I, I even see some heritage brands testing the water with local products, like smaller stores, kind of like the mm-hmm. North local concept. Yep. I, I see yep. a lot of brands, you know, going in and testing certain sites, but not just for retail, but for, for fulfillment centers as well. Mm-hmm. Online, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a great asset for the brands because especially when we do pop up, you know, a lot of time it's, it's pop up as a prototype, it's pop up to test the viability of physical retail, but also long-term leases. And so to have those insights on the brand side, you know, it helps them really, especially if it's a longer duration pop up, understand, you know, the ebbs and flows from their strongest season to their slower season and, and how to optimize and how to plan for it. And then on the flip side, I think it helps illuminate most, most, um, leasing teams right and you think on the on the real estate side they don't really have true insights to what's happening in the four walls they know what's happening at their centers right the entrances right but they don't really know what's happening in, inside yeah. the four walls and they don't know what categories right exactly what the the four what's happening in the four walls but is it but even for our platform we can't share what's happening in the four walls but we can't anonymize the data mm-hmm. to share the categories that are performing well and so why not? Yeah. So let's go into that a little bit. Like, what insights do we get from your dashboard? And I know it's so, evolved too so, over time as well. Yeah. So on our dashboard, you know, when we first started, our basic product was basic sales reporting. So you you would actually see multiple tenants. I like to mirror it as, uh, you know, how you you check you you check your stock portfolio. Yeah. Sure. I I we envision a world at guess that a property owner checks their tenant portfolio. <laughs> on a daily basis, they can see how they're performing each tenant in their centers or in the street retail and kind of just know where everyone is, uh, where they are. Um, and so we also see them being community managers with this data yep. because that means they can help and assist um, some of the tenants on better decisions moving forward as well. If they understand that between seven and eight o'clock or six to eight on a Tuesday night, the tenants not, you know, no one in our center in this category is driving any business. Then they can now tell them, you know what? You can save money on your staffing costs because we're seeing the data show us that your sales are not happening. No one's making sales at the, the, during this period of time. Right. So you your staff home early, you know, like, to optimize that. If if the properties, you know, that's one of the challenges with malls though. You have to they have a uniform set of rules of how what your opening and closing hours need to be. But so it'd be interesting what, too if they'll become more flexible around that to support that's brands. What I mean, that we're seeing that they are com- becoming more flexible if they have the right data. Mm-hmm. You know? And to right. you know, so so you know, so we're doing that from a sales perspective now, but in the future what we'll be able to do is share uh, categorical data once we have enough adoption. So for instance, I, we also envision um, in the next year to, we'd love for you to say, hey, Jay, 
how many hamburgers sold in Soho last night? Okay. Pull that yeah. up. And and we'd be able to, you know, how many Diet Cokes versus Cokes were sold between right. 12 and 1. You know, yeah. like that's our, our real goal is to, um, you know, we, we like to say we like to simplify data sharing. And so we started with the with the tenant's data or the retailer restaurant, but sharing it with the property owner. We also have now started to share it with lenders, lenders that want to be our customers because the lenders are looking at this information because look at the SBA. SBA is trying to help the small to medium-sized businesses, but they can't you know, do it in a vacuum. So a lot of lending institutions are reaching out to us now because they want real-time sales performance, mm-hmm. not quarterly, not annually, you know, mm-hmm. not later. Because they want to get they want to get paid back, right? And so yeah. they want the repayment. So that's where we see our our data helping helping all these these stakeholders that are in that uh, ecosystem I referred to. So tell me, um, what 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 do you integrate with? What platforms um, do you integrate um, in order to collect have, that? Um, yeah, we have. I have to say it this way because sure have uh, we have the number. I would say number one um, e-commerce uh, POS system. We work with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with F and B POS at number one, two, and three F and B POSs that are cloud based. They're cloud-based. We integrate with them. So yeah. how fast is it to get up and running? Like, what does that onboarding process so look like? Our onboarding process is, is no, if, it, if we have a direct integration with the POS company, it's five, 10 minutes tops um, for, the, for the tenant. What happens if you hit our platform, the property owner puts their deal in with the, with the actual tenant. They send a private invite to the tenant. The tenant gets invited, then they onboard and they okay that this deal is proper. Mm-hmm. They enter their system information, we okay it, boom, and they're in our system. And so their data starts to flow. We like to say they set it and forget it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not an arduous process. Right. Once the tenant it's sets seamless. they, they kind of like a lot of them just forget that it's there now. So it's mm-hmm. really essentially the third party verification where they don't have to even communicate that arduous, tumultuous process of a property. I'll say, Hey, did you send me your sales? Email me your sales. No, you know what? You don't have to, it's there. It's already, it's there. And I think that we're living in a world of transparency. And the reason why we believe this performance tracking and transparency and trust is it, it lives in the digital world. The online world, it's that's what it is. You do an advertisement on Facebook, you do that, you know exactly the metrics, you know exactly what's going on. It hasn't been that way for uh, physical commercial real estate for probably you know centuries. <laughs> so, you know, like we we know we're we're moving into the future. And right. so if a property owner has a brick and mortar space, they have to start to look into the digital divide. They have to look at what brands are doing online and why that experience is growing. So it's trending so high mm-hmm. and take some of the tools that are in that experience, that digital experience and apply it to their brick and mortar. So that's either so, the back end systems and the front end. Right. So how do you see, so where do you see this evolving to, right? Where do you see the opportunity in the future for demystifying the attribution of physical retail? 
and the opportunity to track the halo effect, because that's another challenge when you think of real estate, right? Is they're thinking of, um, you know, they create these cre- uh, variable leasing terms and it's based on the sales that happen in the four walls, right. but there's not really tracking the attribution of this four wall destination to, you know, overall sales. Melissa, you know your stuff. You know your stuff. You get it. I mean, I love speaking to you because that is where it's going. It's the the bricks to clicks halo effect is something we've been I've been very close to for the last couple of years, two or three years, I would say. And I spoke on this at ICSC once, and I recognize that property owner needs to understand the value of their bricks business. And the only way they're going to be able to find that value is through tracking the online sales in that geofenced area as well. And it has been proven, uh, numerous studies, that if you have a brick and mortar space, uh, 80% of brands that have a brick and mortar location, even if it's a pop-up, say their sales go up 20 or 30% in that area, right? I've done studies on it. I'll send them over to you. It's, It's really impressive. However, property owners haven't found a way to track that, right? And so we're guest at guest. That's what we're doing. Uh, we're starting to track that. But remember, we can only track that if they have this uh, permission. It's permission based, meaning the, the tenant has to say, "Okay, we we allow you to track our online system and our in store because we got this variable rent deal, whatever whatever they said, right? We don't set the deals at guests. We're not brokers. However, we can administer it. So, for instance. We're omni-channel reporting on behalf of the property owner or the lender or a vendor, but they'll have one channel says in-store, one channel could say online, another one says buy online, pick up in-store, and for the restaurant industry, it would state, um, you know, it would state the third-party delivery systems that are there online. And so, for instance, uh, I'm saying that at Urban Space because they have a multiple vendors that have, you know, grab and go business as far as the food, but they also have a myriad of third-party delivery apps, DoorDash, Seamless, Grubhub. There's no way for that small vendor to report on all these items. And so that's where our, our, uh, our omni-channel reporting really helps the small business because they don't have to do that reporting. Right. And, and now Urban Space can actually tell where that customer came from. Mm-hmm. online so because we have you know sometimes some of the POSs will allow us we get the zip code information so we'll know where that customer's journey where they came yeah. from yeah yeah great no I love that really what the property owners really want to, is, is to mine for that data so I think yeah. that that's great with what you just described and and how that's helpful to urban space the other trend I wanted to touch upon is you know uh, sh- the shoppable showroom store concept where it's inventory list. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what are you thinking about that? Like how, how do you help uh, brands and, and, you know, the landlords understand how they track the attribution of physical um, if it's more of a shoppable showroom format? Well, that's really, that's really what it's about, right? Like, so for instance, like you said, if, if, if they're doing a showroom concept and we've done a bunch of case studies here, we did some things called the guest house a couple of years ago. And it's basically D to C, a lot of D to C brands, of course, utilize the showroom so that they can lift or or elevate their online business, right? And so we know for a fact, if there's going to be a variable 
rent arrangement, the property owner is going to really want to uncover if there's no you know, cash and carry, um, the property owner is going to really want to start to uncover and track what's going on online um, from this physical uh, showroom experience. And that's where our platform comes in because it, it's one thing to just to, for us to just track in store, but this is more of a total online experience. I, I look at the showrooming to me as a, a true online experience only. It's like an online pop-up in my, in my opinion. And we'll track that um, on behalf of the uh, property owner as mm -hmm. well as any other player that, that's involved with the success of that tenant. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. I mean, I think that the fluidity of, of online, offline and, and um, store format, there's just so much evolution, right, that's been accelerated because of COVID. And so as brands and retailers, whether it's a pop-up or, or, or longer term, there's so much that's going to be been tested um, how a store uh, functions, whether it's cash and carry, whether it's chapel showroom, whether it's a point of fulfillment, you know, when we think of BOPIS and curbside. And so there's a lot to really track when you think of how a brand um, or on the real estate side, think about the value of each physical location. Correct. And that's why, you know, you, you, you hear it all the time, Melissa. We always hear people are like, brick and mortar is dead. I'm like, are you kidding me? It, <laughs> there has to be, there has to be some, the goods have to go somewhere, period. Right. Yeah. So yeah. from that perspective, you know, industrial is retail now. Retail and industrial are blended and fulfillment centers and showrooming, you're going to see a lot more hybrids that way, in my opinion, I, we're hearing a lot more of the whole hyper-local, which yeah. is essentially the customer, instead of calling it the last mile, we call it the quarter mile. It's shrinking. Instead mm -hmm. of being 15 minutes for localization, it's five minutes. And so everything is shrinking. Time is shrinking, meaning instead of it taking you two or three, two days to get a package, you're going to get it in two hours on Amazon or, or wherever. The fulfillment Everything is, is is shrinking to the consumer's needs, which are, I want it now. Right. And that means that physical is always going to play a part because goods have to go somewhere in a geographic area around that consumer that needs it now. And that to me is is why I, when I hear brick and mortar is, is going on, I was like, no, it's just pivoting a bit, but it's going to even be more relevant in my opinion because of the hyper-localization. Wherever people live, work, or play, there will be some type of flagship um, fulfillment center there. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, from a design standpoint, we're thinking so much more about that needed fluidity and, and modular design and how the store needs to flex and serve purposes that range from a point of discovery, right, to a point of fulfillment. Um, and how to successfully do that. Yep. And I, that's why people like you, Melissa, will always be in high demand. <laughs> we hope so. We hope so. Um, yeah. I mean, so we talked about a lot, but I, and, and I know, you know, you mentioned some of your customers and the learnings. Were there any big surprises over the past, you know, 12 months that you gleaned from, from some of the data and not just surprises, but things that you think were, oh, that may be an opportunity you know, that we hadn't thought of before. 
Well, you know, you know, and one of the one of the things that I, we learned is that the the flex conversation is growing. You know, I, I have a lot of colleagues that are in the, the delivery business. So, you know, the number mm-hmm. one and two delivery companies, the EPSs, the FedExs of the world. And um, some of the things that I've heard from them is that, you know, before COVID, they had uh, they had a strategy and a roadmap and they and their delivery business, they assumed it would take them three years to where COVID got them in three months. As far as sales, you know, their their quarterly earnings out are be coming out this week or next week, but it it has it has it's been a catalyst. As as other businesses have been shut down, there are businesses thriving like like they've never been. You know, they 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 just couldn't even predict the predictive analytics that they had couldn't foresee this right. So that was shocking to me because. I'm seeing other industries that are decimated, like the hospitality industry, you know, hotels right, right. and others. But then I'm also seeing these kind of unicorns pop up. Or, or that, that more importantly, there were certain businesses that I didn't see uh, thriving because I just thought they were like a dinosaur. <laughs> but they're, but they're, they've pivoted a bit and, and become more innovative. And I'm really excited to see when a you know a, a larger corporation has a team of innovative thought leaders on it and they've been able to pivot through this. So it's, that's exciting. That was kind of like refreshing. You know, I think that uh, it's going to be interesting because you mentioned it, how hospitality comes back, um, which I think it will. And you saw such a, an integration of retail and hospitality really starting to take off pre COVID. So it will be interesting to see how that evolves. Because I think there's a lot of organic synergies with retail and hospitality. I do as well. I, I, that's going to be very interesting to see people. I, I know a lot of um, colleagues of mine are in the, in the hospitality industry and they run, you know, some major hotel groups and just to see how they're integrating with certain retail projects. Um, they've always done it to add like an amenity to their hotel offering. Mm-hmm. But now it's got to be a little more integrated. And I think industrial will start to play a part in that as well. With the hotel yeah fulfillment basically well i think you guys are in an exciting space you know you're really sitting at the heart of valuable data i think that you know more and more brands and retailers seem to be open to kind of prioritizing the platforms that help them illuminate these insights and i think the more that the real estate and the retail industry come together as partners the more physical retail would be positioned for success. Agree. We, we, like I said, you know, we don't really call them partners yet, strategic partners, but it, but at least if they can start to 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 foster, you know, these 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 digital, this data driven decisions, then we can all live in the real world, right? It's like the transparency that comes from these insights can only help, not hurt a business moving forward. And a lot of businesses have been reactive. We believe that this data allows for you to be proactive and make better qualified decisions. We see that, you know, we're living in the data-driven world, right? Um, I'm also a performance, like I love tracking performance. My wife, of course, will ping me and say, you know what, you haven't hit your 10,000 steps today. (laughs) I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, 
how'd you know? Oh, oh, that's right. It's all tracked. Everything I, you know, I'm tracking my performance daily. Feel as though, like I said earlier, you track you track your stock performance. Why aren't you tracking your tenant? You know, your if that's your business, why aren't you tracking your tenant performance? Because yeah. you need to be ahead of it and understand what your center or neighborhood's doing. Absolutely. Well, again, I, this was a fascinating conversation. I think that you guys are sitting in a very interesting place. It's definitely been a pain point for both sides, both the, the retail and the re- real estate side. And I think it's exciting that, you know, landlords and, and leasing teams are pushing forward and, and, and investing in, and partnering with, with companies like yours so that they could leverage the insights that they get from from your platform. So it's good to dive in. I think we're still in early innings. Um, I, I still think there's a lot of opportunity to continue to demystify the attribution of physical retail. So I'll be watching as you guys continue to roll out new uh, functionality um, and insights uh, within your platform. But thank you for, for, for walking us through, you know, kind of what you've achieved so far and, and, and what you see on the roadmap. Uh, everybody, this was uh, Jay Norris, CEO and co-founder of Yes. Thank you for having us. For Thank having you. Me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. You know what? I Can I leave you with this? Sure. There's something, you know, that always sticks out to me is that, um, you know, as I, I look at it and we always talk about consumer spending habits um, on the ground. But what I really look at retail for is retail are, to me, are the amenities in a certain neighborhood. It really nourishes the neighborhood and the community, retailers and restaurants. I I look at when I moved to New York City and I had a small apartment, really tight, but I was nourished by these SMBs, the small, medium-sized businesses that were in my neighborhood. And I don't want any of us to live in a total homogenous society. I think that you know, once COVID passes and, and we get back to life, I, I, I know everyone has cabin fever and can't wait to get back to a fully nourished neighborhood and a community. And I feel retail is a big proponent of that. Absolutely. No, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, you know, I think retail is so much expanded beyond um, the point of transaction it's the, the, I think events will come back and and community building and um, a lot of uh, um, holistic aspects that we were starting to see really flourish start to come back um, and that'll that'll be exciting when we're really in a place where all of that could be layered back in again yeah I'm looking forward to it <laughs> yeah <laughs> me too all right well thank you again uh, everybody this was uh, Jay Norris CEO and co-founder of yes. Thank you for having us.